What is good, everybody? I am glad to be back, and I'm excited for this episode in Ephesians 2. We're going to be going through verses 14 through 16 today. Uh, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to post an episode last week. If y'all are a part of the Facebook group or you follow the Uncensored Christian Facebook page, um, I made a post saying that I was feeling kind of under the weather. Under the weather, this whole like week and a half has been rough. Me and my whole family have been sick. I don't know exactly what it is. But uh, it was to the point where I couldn't really even talk and I couldn't go more than about 10 words without wanting to hack up a lung. So thank you all for being patient. Hopefully a lot of the sickness will be going away, but I'm looking forward to this episode today. I'm going to try and drag myself through it, but we're going to be going through verses uh, 14 through 16. And before we do, I actually want to read through verses 11 through 16, just so we can kind of understand the train of thought, the context that Paul is speaking into here. And like we always do, we're just going to break it down verse by verse. So in verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." So, like we always do, we're going to break this down verse by verse. Let's start in verse 14. So, Paul just got done talking to the Gentiles. He said, hey, I want y'all to remember that at one point, y'all didn't have none of the promises that the Jews had. You weren't a part of God's chosen people, the, the, the nation that he treasured that was going to be a light to the world. Like, you weren't a part of that. You didn't get any of the promises, none of that. But... Through the blood of Jesus, you're now brought into unity. They no longer you know, are going to be calling you the uncircumcised and they're the circumcised because you're all now one, right? And so starting in verse 14, Paul says, For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And the reason why I wanted to reread through uh, verse 11 is so that we can get a full understanding of what Paul is speaking into here. And like I said before, he's made it clear to the Gentiles that in the eyes of the Jews, they were once viewed as other. And this separation was not simply because of their character or ideals. And although that, that played a part, it, it was first and foremost because of a difference of being circumcised or not, at least the way that Paul is presenting this here. So Paul also reminds the Gentiles and the Jews in verse 11 that this wall of separation, circumcision, was a wall that is made by human standards. It's crafted by humans. It's made by human standards, and it's done by humanity. And this is Paul's way of contrasting the grace and sacrifice of God with the human standards that the Jews presented on to the Gentiles. But also, uh, I, I don't want this to seem like 
I'm just going at the Jews and the customs that they hold because that's not the case at all. Paul's speaking to a specific situation, but as human beings in general, we have a, a very bad tendency to want to point out things that are man-made standards that can differentiate between our group and all of those outside of our group, whether it's uh, something like circumcision or whether it's skin color or wealth or status or the last name of your family, whatever the case may be, humans have a tendency to want to separate into groups and claim that one group is less than because they don't possess the same thing that their group possesses. And in this case, it is the human standard of circumcision. So Paul is contrasting how God offers grace and sacrifice to all those who were alienated from him, while humanity, and in this case the Jews, didn't offer grace and sacrifice. They offered standards and a sense of disunity between those who were not circumcised. So after Paul makes all of this clear, he then gives great news to the Gentiles. He tells them that, hey, regardless of the walls that were put between them and the Jews, he tells them in verse 13 that you have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Jews, yes, they were chosen to be God's you know, light to the nations. They were God's treasure. They were his children. And you were alienated from that because of the standard of circumcision. But what Jesus did, his blood washed all that away and it brought you near as being one of God's children. So this, this division, it's gone because of the blood of Christ. So the main point that Paul is making here is that where men lead, there is bound to be division, superficial division at that. But where Christ leads and where Christ is the focus, there can only be unity. Now that's powerful, but we need to point out that there's a distinction. Because when we think of unity, we envision multiple individuals who simply work together. But as far as God is concerned, he sees unity as multiple individuals abandoning their foolish desires to become one in him, which is Christ. And this is not to say that the individual loses their unique qualities or their God-given purpose. However, it's to say that our purpose becomes that which is focused on serving the whole unified body of Christ. And this is where in our, our society and in our culture today and in our world, um, so many people have this utopian vision of unity and peace where all people, no matter what, no matter what your beliefs, backgrounds, politics, whatever, we can be unified. But the problem is, is what would we be unified to? We, we can't all be unified to a political ideology because not everyone agrees. We can't all be unified to a specific plot of land like a country because not everyone wants to live in the same place. We can't be unified to a human leader like a king or a queen or a president because 
they have their flaws and that's going to turn people off. What is going to unify the entire world? What could possibly do that? Well, as far as Paul is concerned, the only way that real unity can take place where everyone abandons their own personal desires so that the one that they are being led by is the one that receives all of their attention and all of their effort and all of their strength and all of their worship, Paul sees that as being Jesus. Jesus being the only way that all things and all people can be unified. So if all people were to give their life to Christ and were to understand and see that he is Lord and Savior, that's where real unity comes into place. And without that, there can't be true unity for all people in the world. I mean, look, Paul is not naive here. I think it's important to note that the unity that Paul is talking about, the the peace, the the breaking down of the wall of hostility, the dividing wall of hostility, Paul is very clear to say that you only find that peace and unity when you are in Christ. He doesn't say that Christ died, therefore all hostility in the world is gone. Because that would then imply that you don't even have to accept Christ in order to find unity in the world. What Paul is saying is very clear is that you can live a peaceful and unified life in the midst of disagreement if the people you are disagreeing with also serve Christ. Because if they also serve Christ, they understand that Christ died so that they can live in peace in him as well. This can't be achieved full stop with those who reject Christ. You can have some level of civilized interaction with people who do not believe or who reject Christ. But you can't find true unity. You can't find true unity that is able to bring peace and break down walls of hostility that have been so ingrained in your psyche, in your culture, in your identity. These walls cannot be broken down simply because you want to be a nice person. They can only be broken down when you realize that those standards that you have made yourself do not hold up to the standard that God has called you to and has died so that you can fully achieve and follow. That's the main point that Paul is trying to get at here. And it's it's the idea that within Christ, within the body of Christ, all of us can understand our own individual unique qualities and roles and experiences and diversity and bring that all together under Christ to amplify the body that Christ is the head of. And I mean, Paul explains it here in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, verse 14 through 20. He's given this analogy of all the members of the church being individual body parts and how they all are supposed to work together. And he says this, For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So that kind of summarizes this idea of there being this wall of hostility that is broken down. And there's this newfound peace and unity within these individual groups and members of the body of Christ. And I want to stress the importance that this doesn't mean that you lose your individual capabilities or your individual identity. A lot of people are afraid of Christianity because they believe that they have to abandon their own individual gifts or their own individual ambitions. And that's not the case. But what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians, talking about the body and its parts, is that you were given those ambitions and those gifts and qualities so that you can work to amplify the body of Christ. And if you truly want to follow Christ and you truly love him, you will have a desire to want to work towards amplifying the body. And that means that each and every one of your individual capabilities is so utterly important. Like Paul said, look, we got, we got the eyes and the hands and the nose and the feet in the body of Christ. And it would be foolish and unfortunate for one part of the body to look at the other and say, oh, I'm not that part of the body. Therefore, I can't contribute. So you have the ability to work individually with your own capabilities, but its purpose is to amplify the body of Christ. And that can only be done if the individual body parts aren't fighting against each other. That's why there is unity in Christ when we all understand that there is one goal and that anything that is getting in the way of that one goal that causes us to fight against each other, a wall of hostility, especially one that is man-made, we need to remember that Christ died so that that wall of hostility can be broken down. All right, with that being said, let's look back at the verses that we are focusing on today. It's verse 15. So I want to just reiterate, Paul said that Christ, he himself, is our peace. And this is quite interesting to me. Because the, the Jews and the Gentiles are in a place where they are not at peace for the reasons we just discussed which would be circumcision, other various things regarding the law and festivals and um, Jewish holidays and all that. And Paul, in other letters that he wrote, he pointed out to his Jewish audience that because of Christ, circumcision is now just an act of the flesh. It has no spiritual binding, and it's not required. It's not required for salvation. It's not required to be in the family of God. It's just an act of the flesh, something outwardly that you do that does not affect anything spiritually. But here, Paul doesn't go into that much detail. Uh, he doesn't even make an elaborate reasoning as to why the Jews and the Gentiles are really fighting or possibly even separating over something like circumcision that holds no weight. He just simply says that Christ is our peace. That's the way that Paul handles this. That's it. That, that's the argument. Christ is our peace. It's as if Paul is saying, hey, look, I, I could sit here and I could write five pages worth of arguments and reasoning to inform you as to why your quarreling is foolish and unwarranted and why you need to just drop it. Paul could have done that, but it's as if Paul is saying, look, I'm just going to say this. Christ is our peace, okay? So drop it, move past it. None of this fleshly stuff matters because we are all now in Christ. 
And wouldn't it be nice if we handled our superficial disagreements the same way by realizing that these things shouldn't divide us? Because simply put, Christ is our peace. We're unified as one in him. Paul is is very explicit about this. He says that because of Christ, we are both, both Jews and Gentiles, we are both one and in his flesh. Because of his sacrifice, he broke down the wall of hostility. And you know that wall that you call circumcision, the one that completely separated these two groups. Paul's saying, yeah, it no longer exists. So the question then follows, Well, how did Christ do it? How did he break down this wall of hostility? Well, verse 15, Paul is very clear. He says, He did it by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now, many of you might have heard this before, this idea that Christ uh, ended the law. And if we were only reading... Ephesians 2 here, and this was the only proof text that we had in the entire Bible about how Christ made it so that the law and the commandments kind of didn't have the same effect. Um, maybe that's the, you know, the thing that we would come away with that, yeah, Christ just ended the law. I mean, it says right here, verse 15, he abolished the law of commandments. Okay. But then we look at something like Matthew five seventeen, and it seems like Jesus is saying something different. Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, if we're not careful here, we can assume that there's a contradiction. Because Jesus just said that he has not come to abolish the law. But Paul said quite clearly that Jesus abolished the law. So what are we to do with this? Because this is important because this is the way that Christ broke this hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. The, The thing that was holding up that wall of hostility was the law and the commandments. That was the Jews kind of linchpin argument is that, hey, This is what we got from the law of Moses, right? So we're doing this. But Jesus saying, I didn't come to abolish the law. But Paul said that Jesus took down that wall of hostility by abolishing it. So what's going on here? Well, there's a great article by Seth Trout. And he says this, he says, quote, In Matthew's text, the law refers to the book of Moses or the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the story, instruction, and promises found therein. In this context, Jesus is not abolishing the Jewish history or what the Jews viewed as the means of obtaining the promises of God. Rather, he is himself perfectly embodying the Jewish way and thereby fulfilling the need for an obedient covenant partner in order to see God's promises realized, which we see in Exodus 19 verse 5. So Jesus is not wiping away that reality. Rather, he is the fulfillment of what the Jews were trying and failing to be. However, in the Ephesians text, Paul is speaking preeminently about the division between Jew and Gentile circumcision. The Gentiles, 
Everyone who's not Jewish were called uncircumcision, whereas the Jews were called circumcision. Jesus is abolishing circumcision, the ordinance, as was foretold within the law itself. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. Circumcision was always meant to be a temporary sign setting apart Israel until some future time in which Israel would faithfully obey God. And we see that in Deuteronomy 30 verses 2 through 3, end quote. So as he says, the wall of hostility that Jesus is getting rid of is the barrier of entry called the physical requirements found in the law of Moses, which is circumcision. And why did Jesus do this? Well, Paul says he did this in order to make one new man in place of the two. So the results of Christ's sacrifice is that the superficial things that divide us not only do not anymore, but should not divide us anymore. Jesus died for unity in him, not division over superficial barriers. And when these barriers are seen for what they are, which is broken and useless, then we can live in peace. But notice how this isn't just some helpful wisdom that you can read in a self-help book. And this isn't just some principle that can be applied willy-nilly. Paul is not making the claim that in order to have world peace, everyone needs to just make peace, not war. This isn't a self-help guide that says to just stop quarreling over the little things in order to be unified with humanity. Like I said before, this is a very specific claim that this unity and peace and ability to bypass superficial differences is only found in and through the sacrifice of Christ. So the precondition for being unified and at peace is giving your life to Christ and following Him. And that can only happen, as we've pointed out through this whole Ephesian series, this can only happen through the knowledge of God that Paul prays for in chapter 1. And this isn't to say that you can't be peaceful with non-believers. You certainly can. But you cannot have ultimate peace and unity with those who do not share your values, your worldview, and beliefs about who you are to give your life to. This peace and unity it has its limits, and its limits are found in Christ. And Paul finishes in verse 16, And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we're now reconciled in one body. And that body is the body of the incarnate God, Jesus Christ. And when we are found in that one body, the hostility is killed. That's where the hostility is killed. It can't be killed outside of Christ. It can't be killed with enough respect or manners or trying your best to you know, be nice to other people. It, the hostility cannot be killed that way. It can only be killed in Christ.